So I love that this morning you haven't been able to tell if you're a visitor who the pastor is around here, right? Because we've had all these folks up here participating in the worship and being the church of Jesus, which is awesome. So my name is Pastor Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Greg is out, you know, messing around somewhere, but it's good that he's getting a break. So, um, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been on this Sabbath journey, right? So Pastor Greg took us two weeks ago through the rhythm of creation, six days the world, the world was created. The seventh day, God stopped, ceased, and rested. Now, last week, he took us into the fourth commandment. We heard the words work and rest and those kind of words. And he talked about the freedom we have. Remember, he had the timeout chair over here, and he had the comfortable chair with a root beer over on this side. And so this Sabbath is free, right, for us to figure out what work looks like, what rest looks like, what play looks like. And he's given us these three words throughout the last couple weeks of what Sabbath is. It's worship, it's rest, and it's play, okay? So we're going to pray, and then today we're going to look a bit at how Jesus maybe uh, handled the Sabbath day, okay? You with me? So let's pray together. Let's ask his uh, Holy Spirit to be here. Lord Jesus, um, we know that you're here in this space because you rose from the dead, and you sit on the right hand of your Father in heaven. We also know that your Spirit, who lives in each side of each one of us, is here with us, and so we pray this morning that your Spirit would be the one who speaks to us. We want to hear the whispers of your word to each one of us deep within so that it changes how we live, how we move from this place. your name we pray, amen. Okay, I need my volunteers to come up here real fast. You guys can just stand in a row here. You got to hold that stick. Got to hold this stick. Got to hold this stick. You guys know what these are? Ever seen these? Uh, what? Let me show you. Okay, hold your stick real still, real, real tight, okay? Here we go. Oh, oh man, I practiced this. Oh, a good magician can make these plates spin, and he can get them going, and then he can keep that one going, he can run over here and do another one, make this plate spin, and that one's got to keep going, because otherwise that, that one's going to fall. But you got to get this one spinning first. And then you got to come here and see if you get a third one going. I'm pretty good at this, aren't I? Huh? You guys think I should go, like, on TV? And you, you keep spinning the plates. You keep running back and forth. And the key is you don't want them on the end of dry up. Now, these are kind of cheater plates. You can see they're, they're pretty easy to do, right? Huh? You girls are really good at this. <laughs> All right. Thanks, ladies. Thanks. All right. Thank you. You did a great job. All right. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I watched the Bozo Show. Remember the Bozo Show? Some of you remember Bozo, right? And on the Bozo Show, they would always have this plate spinner guy. He'd come on, and he'd spin these plates. And he wouldn't just have three plastic plates. He'd have glass, real glass plates. He'd put them on these long, thin sticks, and he'd start spinning them. And he'd have like 15 of these babies going at once. And he'd be running back and forth, and the crowd would be cheering like, get that one, get that one. you see one start to wobble. And occasionally one would crash to the ground. Right? You remember this, right? Plate spinning. Now, you think, what are we doing, Clyde? What are we doing? Well, hey, you all know what plate spinning is, don't you? Yeah, we all know it really well. We're great plate spinners. We spin plates each and every week, right? We got dozens of them going at once. It's unbelievable. If you think about our culture, we are the ultimate plate-spinning culture. And in fact, the more plates you can spin, 
the bigger the badge of honor you have. True? If you can talk about how many plates you're spinning and how many plates you're able to spin, people look and go, whoa, you must be really important. You must be really something to be spinning all those plates. Right? So the busier you get, the more plates you can spin, the better off you are. Now, have you ever asked yourself, have you ever wondered what all this plate spinning does to you? What it, what it does to me? I mean, deep inside, all the running back and forth, trying to keep all the plates going. I mean, we can name them all, right? There's family, there's job, there's youth sports, there's entertainment, there's cottages to take care of, there's lawns to mow. There's, I mean, I could just keep going, right? We're just spinning plates all over the place. And we keep picking them up more and more and put them on the sticks and keep spinning them. And we really rarely ever put any down. Have you ever wondered what this does to us? Like, what's the effect of all the plates spinning in our lives? What's happening to us deep inside? Well, the late Mike Iaconelli used to run youth specialties. He wrote this about plate spinning. We are going as fast as we can, living life at a dizzying speed, and God is nowhere to be found. We're not rejecting God. We just don't have time for him. We've lost him in the blurred landscape as we rush to church. We don't struggle with the Bible, but with the clock. It's not that we're too decadent, we're too busy. We don't feel guilty because of sin, but because we have no time for our spouses, our children, or our God. It's not sinning too much that's killing our souls, it's our schedule that's annihilating us. Most of us don't come home at night staggering drunk. Instead, we come home staggering, tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live too fast. So this morning, we joined Jesus in Luke chapter 13. He's practicing the Sabbath day. It says one Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. There were probably 250 synagogues in Galilee at this time. And Jesus probably spoke at one time in all of them. Okay, So Jesus regularly went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And often he was the guest speaker for that day. So this particular synagogue, I don't know where this one is. Doesn't tell us in Luke 13 which synagogue this is, but one thing we learn in Luke 4 is this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So Jesus had a habit, a pattern, a custom of going into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and of worshiping his God, being with the people of God to worship. But it's interesting, when you study the life of Jesus, It's not just this one-day practice that Jesus did. Sabbath meant more to Jesus than just one day. In fact, there's this rhythm in Jesus' life of kind of act and then stop. Engage, withdraw, right? Heal, and then go be alone. There's this back-and-forth pattern in Jesus' life. In fact, let's look at some of the verses. Look at this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A little while later, he says he withdrew with his disciples to the lake. So he was in the middle of this busy ministry season. He picks up and just withdraws, disappears. I love this because Jesus even leaves people standing there who need to be healed. Leaves people standing there who need to be ministered to. But all of a sudden, Jesus decides it's time to withdraw, and he just picks up and he walks away from the whole crowd of people. It's crazy, right? Look at these verses. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. That's the night he prayed before he picked his 12 disciples. Then it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, that John the Baptist had been killed, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. I can keep going. Here's 
Matthew, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So Jesus practiced again, go, stop, act, withdraw. Be with all the crowds, keep by myself. Why was he doing this? What's going on with him? Well, I believe that Jesus wanted to hear his father's voice. Jesus knew that life lived striving, spinning a bunch of plates, was not the way to live. That real life meant that you would get away by yourself at times so you could hear the voice of God and get your instructions from him. So Jesus practiced this on a regular basis, and his father gave him instructions on how to engage with people in the world. It's almost as if Jesus knew who to engage with and who to walk away from. Because he was constantly practicing this time alone with God so he could hear what was going on. Now, if you study Jewish Sabbath deeply, you can get into some interesting insights. For instance, Rabbi Abraham Heschel says this, that the Jewish people, unlike other people in the world, so he said a lot of religions have these sacred places or spaces. So like the, the Muslims have Mecca or they have the Dome of the Rock. We have church buildings like this. I remember when I was a kid being told, you don't run in the worship center, you don't run in the sanctuary, you don't run in the church building, right? Respect it, right? He, he said the Jewish people, Hassel says the Jewish people don't have sacred spaces, they sanctify time instead. So time is the thing they sanctify, and practicing the Sabbath allows them to sanctify time, all of time. By practicing the Sabbath, this rhythm of Go, stop, act, get away, okay? Be involved, withdraw. Now, most of us, we're so busy spinning plates, we hardly ever withdraw. We hardly ever stop, true? Isn't stopping like wasting time? Who wants to waste time? Right? Yeah. Um, this writer, Sumon Kidd, writes about her quickaholic tendencies, her tendency to always have to act and do and run around and be going. So she goes to a monastery to try to practice this sitting in quiet. She gets there. She sits by the lake quietly, and she says, I couldn't do it. All of my quickaholic stuff began to raise up inside me. I had to get up and act and do and do something. I, I failed. I got up from the lake, and I was so irritated. She said, I started walking back to my to my bunk, and then she said, I saw him, this monk, completely sitting still in total silence by a tree, not moving a bit. And she stood and watched him for a while. And a while, little while later, she went up and asked him, how in the world do you get used to doing nothing? How do you get used to wasting so much time? And then she writes this in her book. This is the monk's response. Well, there's the problem, young lady. You've brought into the cultural myth that when you're waiting, you're doing nothing. But when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. If you can't be still and wait, you can't become what God created you to be. I think Jesus got this. I think Jesus understood that real life meant that sometimes you have to take the plates and put them down and just be in Sabbath with God, just by yourself. Hearing his voice, catching his instructions, 
soaking him in, letting your soul grow. All the running around we do probably shrinks our souls, right? We probably struggle. Now, with all this as a backdrop, let's dig into this story again in Luke 13, okay? Check this out. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. Now, the first thing I find interesting in this story, this is Dr. Luke, the physician, writing this gospel. Notice what he says is the cause of her illness. Did you catch it? An evil spirit. What? Would any good scientist, any good doctor say that's the cause? Well, in this case, Dr. Luke says this woman is actually ill because of an evil spirit. And she's bent over, so she walks around, I guess, like this. There's actually a name for this disease, which I forget right now. But, and she's looking down, so means, you know, interacting with people is impossible. And I find it interesting that she actually comes to the synagogue to worship, to seek God. She's in a miserable state. She's been in this state for 18 years. There's an evil spirit that's tormenting her and keeping her body bent over so she's not foaming at the mouth or flopping on the ground or anything else. She's just bent over by an evil spirit. Look what Jesus does. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her with his hand, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. I love this. Jesus sees her, and he must know because of his Sabbath times, I'm supposed to engage here. And he probably knows the cause is evil spirit, so he engages the woman. Again, she doesn't flop on the ground. She doesn't have any crazy manifestations go on. She just is healed, and she stands straight up, and she praises God for the first time in 18 years. Whoa. Now this story makes me think, how many of us are so busy spinning so many plates that even if someone that was bent over walked in front of us, will we even see them? You know what I'm saying? How many people do you walk by every week and you just don't even see because you're always rushing to the next thing? I mean, I'm terrible at this. I'm always rushing to the next thing. I barely have time to stop and look someone in the eye and say hello. How in the world can we be on the mission of God if we're always running to the next thing? If we're so busy, our schedules are so full, we have so many plates going, we have absolutely no energy or even like ability to focus on other people around us. You know, when I went to seminary years ago, I lived in a house on uh, the street of the seminary, 13th Street in Holland, Michigan. Me and, me, me and my roommate were both in seminary. And we would come out of our house in the morning our neighbor John, who was probably about 85 or 86 years old, lived next door by himself. John was always on the porch in the morning, sitting on his front porch by himself, drinking his coffee. So as we rushed off to seminary, we would talk to John, and we would say to John, hey, John, we're going to have you over for dinner, John. We're going to get together. We, we notice you're all alone. We, we, you know, we're going to get together. We're going to have dinner together. And this went on for months. We would promise John we're going to have dinner. We're going to have dinner, John. But of course, we had our important seminary training, our ministry training to get to. You know what I'm talking about? They get down to, the, down to the seminary and learn some important lessons about ministry. Meanwhile, we're telling John, hey, John, we're going to get to this someday. Well, one morning we woke up, and there were flashing lights outside. We ran out of our house. The 
ambulances, the fire department, the police were next door. We said, what happened? What's going on? Well, John, he died two days ago. We found him next to his bed. No one really knew. His family got worried after a couple days, and they started calling, and they called the police, and we found him laying next to his bed dead. What am I doing? I'm training for ministry, but I don't have time for John. I'm spinning my plates, learning my theology, learning how to preach these sermons, but I have no time for John. Does this story sound familiar? I mean, I think there are people bent over, spiritually bent over all around us, live all around us, but we have no time for them. Because we don't practice this rhythm of go, stop, act, solitude, move, engage, cease, and get away. If we did, I think we'd have the energy, you know, when, when all of a sudden someone's presented with a problem, you know how you feel? If someone walks up and you know you got a need to meet, you're like, ah, oh, no, I don't need another thing. I do not need another thing on my plate. Another person to talk to, another person to deal with. You ever, you ever talk like this? I do. <laughs> I do sometimes like, oh, really? Another problem? Right? You ever get like this? That's because we're so busy, we're so overwhelmed, we have no, we have no energy to get into this. So here's the, here's the statistics, folks. 79% of church people believe that it's their responsibility to share about Jesus with their neighbors. 73% tell you that they know how to do it. Over 80% of people in church never talk to anybody about their faith. I don't know, is it because we're just so busy running around? So I would ask you this morning, who's your one? Who's your one person? Who's the one person you know that's, that's spiritually bent over and has been that way for a long time? And you're the person that has the relationship and the energy and the love to continue to engage that person so they can understand who this Jesus is that you know. This is Jesus modeling the Sabbath for us, right? He's got the energy, the time, the, the instructions from God to step into this. I love that. Now, I wish the story ended there, but it continues. Second part of the story, okay? Luke 13, 14. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, but not on the Sabbath. Really? Are you kidding me? This dude is totally preoccupied. <laughs> He doesn't get it, does he? I mean, a miracle has just happened. A woman just got freed of an evil spirit for 18 years and healed, and she's standing up for the first time. And this guy's ticked off because it happened on the Sabbath day. Man, really? Are we serious? Yeah, but unfortunately, this is his deal. In fact, I think probably he's protecting his reputation. He doesn't want his synagogue to be the outlier, right, where this Jesus character is carrying on all this crazy stuff on a Sabbath day. He doesn't want people to think he's not obeying the rules. I mean, he's got careful synagogue rules to keep, you know what I'm saying? You don't want those to get broken, so he's going to make sure it doesn't happen to his watch, so he speaks out. This is just like the church in America. We're so busy keeping the rules, we missed the point. Seriously. Did you see this story on the internet? There's a California pastor who went into a Costco store 
He was browsing for a gift for his wife in the bookstore section. He noticed that the Bible that was there was labeled fiction. So he took a picture of it and tweeted it out and said, look at Costco. They're making the Bible fiction. And it went nuts and created a huge firestorm. People went bananas. Again, we're preoccupied with the wrong stuff. Is that the way to handle that situation? Is that going to get, is that going to improve the witness of Jesus in the world? No, we're just like the synagogue leader. We're, we're, we're hung up on stuff that just doesn't matter. You know, let it go. And Israel had become totally preoccupied with the wrong stuff. Seriously. Israel had gotten so preoccupied with following the rules that they had forgotten their call from God. You know what their call was? Genesis chapter 12 helps us. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. You know what the call on the Israelites was? I will bless you, and you will bless others. This continues in Exodus chapter 19. God says, you're my treasured possession. You're my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. You belong to me. What's, what do priests do? Priests show the world what God's really like. They represent to the world what God, who God is, what he's like. You want to know what God's like? Come watch a Christian live their life. You want to know what Jesus is like? Come watch a Christian. Right? Look at Isaiah. People of Israel. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 61. Look at this. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. This was the call on Israel. This is what they were supposed to be about. They were supposed to be a holy people who were set apart so they could display to the world what God was like. In the Mishnah, the Mishnah is, so there's, there's, the, there's the Ten Commandments, and then there's the Mishnah, and the Mishnah is the commentary on the Ten Commandments. In the Mishnah, this word shows up. Tikkun olam. You know how it's translated? Repairers of the world. The Jewish rabbis talk about holiness and chosenness as existing so that the Israelites can spread the sparks of holiness throughout the world, repairing it and making it right again. So the whole reason God called Israel and made them his chosen people so they could go out to the world and carry on this mission of repairing the world. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he immediately enters into this mission. He begins to model it out for people and shows them how it works, how it looks. And you know who's most offended? The religious leaders, the synagogue leaders, the Pharisees. They're most offended. We can spend so much time following the rules that we can forget what we're even all about. Forget the call God has in our life to repair the world and heal the brokenness in the world. I mean, I got so many stories in this. I was out in California doing a serve project with a bunch of high school kids. So we spent the whole afternoon um, rehearsing the evening service that we're going to put on for the church. During the course of our rehearsal, the pulpit was screwed to the stage in the middle of the pul- in the stage. It was, like, it was like bolted in, like a permanent piece of furniture. So it was kind of our way, to be honest. It wasn't really convenient to have there. We were doing this kind of a lot of movement. And so, so I said, hey, we're going to move that pulpit. So I got out a screwdriver. I took it loose, and I slid that pulpit somewhere in the back. Boy, it's, it's at 5.45 when the elders and the pastors showed up. I had to have a meeting in their office. They wanted to know who moved the pulpit. I said, I did. 
They said, you can't move the pulpit without an elders meeting, without approval. I'm like, really? It's a pulpit. It's a piece of furniture. I mean, seriously, I'm like, holy cow, we have lost sight of what we're doing. And, and Kara's right. People out there, they're wondering what we're doing in here. When I was doing my church plant in Wheaton, we were meeting in a public school, and one Sunday morning, one of the gym, gym teachers I recognized was peeking her head, and after the service, she was peeking in like this. I said, Miss Minzer, what's going on? You need to come in? Yeah, I want to come in, but I'm just not sure what you're doing in here. Like, I don't know if you're sacrificing a goat or something. I'm like, we don't sacrifice goats, Mrs. Minzer. It's okay. So seriously, folks, our mission is out there. Practicing the Sabbath is following Jesus' example of even in this Sabbath practice, we're healing the world, repairing the brokenness. We're engaged in the things that God is all about. So one final question this morning I have, and that's this one. With all this talk about the mission of God and re repairing the world and healing the world, doesn't it make you tired just thinking about it? More, isn't it more plates to spin? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. If you get involved in the mission of God, it is the most joyful thing ever. You guys know George Bosman? You know George? He's back there in the back. I see him back there. George Bosman and I, years ago, we got involved with Al Harima down in Chicago, serving Humboldt Park. George actually came with, he was the music leader, I was a speaker, and George came with, he said it was the first time he'd ever been away from his wife on any night of his marriage. So he slept down there in Humboldt Park with us the first night. I'll tell you what, the last night of this Chicago serve, after a whole week of seeing God move, I come downstairs to the basement. Now, we were signing people's T-shirts, right, with these markers. You, could, people, you know, kids would sign each other's T-shirts as a memory to take home. I come into the basement. George Bosman is sitting there in a chair, giggling like a madman, and kids are signing his head with the markers. I'm serious. Signing his head with Sharpie markers. I'm, it was unbelievable. I'm like, George, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. The Spirit of God just took over. I can't stop myself. That's what happens. That's what happens when you get to be on the mission of God, when you get to see God move in the world. It's exciting. It's awesome. There's nothing like it to engage in those kind of things. Um, there was a kid in that same serve project. I told the kids the first night, I said, look, um, God has brought you here for a reason. There's a reason you're here. So the last night we were sharing in the microphone, the one kid got up and said, well, I thought that speaker was a liar because he told us we were here for a reason. So all week long I kind of sat around not doing what I was supposed to be doing, kind of messing around, not serving, not doing anything. And I just was thinking, I, I want to see what God's going to you know, have, have me do this week. So he says, I'm sitting there on the fire escape eat, about to eat my lunch. I look down, and there's a homeless lady walking through the alley, opening the dumpsters, looking for food. He said, I got, from the, got up from the fire escape, walked down the fire escape into the alley, and gave her my lunch. And then he said, that's why I came here this week. God used me to feed that lady. And he was beaming. I tell you, when you get to be used by God, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you haven't tried it, you should try it. You should try to get on the mission of God. Who's that one person? Just try it. So last week I was in Colorado Challenge for the 31st time, speaking to high school kids about Jesus. God always brings me the craziest kid the first night. So I get done with my first speech, go to the snack shack, and this kid comes up behind me. Hey, Bible man. Hey, preacher boy. So I spin around I'm like, hello, what's your name? He says, my name is Connor. And then he said something I won't say in church. I literally uh, did a double take like, you, you said what? And he repeated himself. 
And I said, Connor, um, I'm going to just pray for you, man, starting right now. Thursday night, we're in chapel, in the back of the chapel. Connor is telling his leader, I got to get out of here. We're worshiping. I got to get out of here. My head hurts. I just got to get out of here. And he runs outside. As I go to do my speech, I see him sitting on a bench out there. I talk to him briefly. And by the time chapel was over that night, that kid got to know Jesus for the first time ever in his life. Now I'm telling you right now, there is nothing like being involved in the mission of God. Knowing that you personally have been used by God to do something amazing to heal and repair the world. This is, I believe, what Jesus thought the Sabbath day was about. Engage, get away and listen to the Father. Heal, withdraw, right? Go, stop. Can we all make a pact this week to get away, hear the Father's instructions, ask him who is the one, who is the one that I'm supposed to engage with this week, Lord? Give me the energy, give me your energy, give me the time. Help me to put down some plates so that I can make a difference in the world and repair it. Will you do that for me? That's your, that's your assignment. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, um, the way you modeled life on planet Earth is amazing to observe and look at. It's amazing to see, Lord, how you function and moved in the world. Lord, teach us to walk and move like you do, like you did. Help us understand what it means to live our lives as you would live our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.